listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello and welcome to Six Figure Dog Business on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Ty Brown of SixFigureDogBusiness.com. Now, this is the show where we teach you how to start or grow your dog-related business to a healthy six-figure per year profit. Now, today on the show, we've had him on the show a couple times before, and each time we find ourselves wanting to talk a little bit long because he's got so much great information on the things that he's done in business and what his business does. But we've got Steve Applebaum, the president and director of Animal Behavior College, and uh, we've got him back on the show with us today, and so we're going to be talking with him about some questions that came in from some of his students. And so stay with us. We're going to be right back talking with Steve Applebaum. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. (laughs) Pawfume Dog Grooming and Finishing Spray is proud to be a new sponsor of Pet Life Radio. Pawfume Super Long Lasting Sprays are available in four unique fragrances. Each Pawfume spray is fortified with the finest conditioners and detanglers to make combing out your dog more fun. Pawfume retails for only $2 per 6-ounce bottle. Pawfume is available nationwide at all Dollar General and Family Dollar stores. Why pay more to have your dog smell great? Pawfume, P-A-W-F-U-M-E. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. Teacherspetsessions.com. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay. 
Okay, and we're back, and with us today, we've got a special guest, Steve Applebaum, the President and Director of Animal Behavior College. Thanks for being on the show again today, Steve. Appreciate having you. It's a pleasure. It seems like this is becoming a regular thing. Yeah, we love having you on. I mean, you've got so much great information, so <laughs> I'm hoping that your members, that your students are benefiting, but I'm hoping that dog groomers are benefiting from it, and, and pet sitters and dog walkers are benefiting from it, not just you know your dog trainers, because again, there's so much good information that we talk about on this show, and it's not designed for specifically just dog trainers. You know, I'm a dog trainer, but I don't want it to come across as, okay, this is just for dog trainers, because groomers and walkers and sitters and kennels can all benefit from this information. So, now, speaking Speaking of that, what I wanted to do is ask you a question. Well, we've got a bunch of questions that your students sent in that I'd love for you to answer, and one of them kind of talks about that. And here's what your student writes. She says, uh, I am currently enrolled in the program and really finding it informative. I've really liked it so far. My dream has always been to work with dogs. My question is, where do I start? I need some direction getting started. Do I start with dog walking services and advertise dog training through that service? Any direction would be helpful. And we actually got a couple questions like this from your students. You know, should I do dog walking? Should I do pet sitting? Should I do, uh, you know, pet boarding in my home? And so I wanted to hear your take on that. What is your take on offering these ancillary services that are related to dog training but aren't dog training? What do you think? I think it has it's potentially a good idea. You know, I think anybody that comes to me and says, you know, I really like the program, well, obviously I like that comment. The real, the real meat, in my opinion, in that question is where do I start? And anybody that starts to, uh, that, that asks me a question like that, I'm going to fall back to you start, if you, if you want to be a dog trainer, you start by focusing on that, okay, yeah. which means we talk about networking, okay, which we talked about in other shows. You know, where do you start? You start to build relationships with veterinarians in your area, with pet stores, with groomers, with pet sitters, with, with all of the different people that service the same demographic that you're looking to target. Okay, now when you've built some rapport with these people, when you're starting to get referrals, when you've built the kind of relationships that are starting to benefit your business, and then you're looking to do more, I think at that point you can look at the possibility of either dog walking or pet sitting. Now, that, that would be my answer 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. However, there, there may be some instances in which it becomes easier to break in and build rapport with certain groups of people if you are offering more than one service. I mean, for example, let's say that you're in a relatively small community and there's two or three veterinary hospitals servicing your general community. And one of them will say ABC Animal Hospital is the one that you'd really like to build a relationship with. They're the biggest. You feel that they have the best reputation. If you could start to get referrals from this hospital, you think it would really, really positively impact your business. But the problem is that this hospital, ABC Animal Hospital, is recommending to another trainer. And, you know, they've had a relationship with the trainer for a while. Trainer mm-hmm. seems, by all accounts, to be a, a good trainer. So it's, it's a little bit of a lockout for you. I mean, you, you, you haven't been able to make any kind of real inroads into this hospital. Now, if you were, say, for example, to also offer pet sitting, and ABC Animal Hospital didn't recommend anybody for pet sitting, if you were able to offer dog walking services, and you were in the part of the country where dog walking was a viable business to offer, and that works best in the cities, in some of the larger cities, although there are areas outside of that where it also works. Regardless, you have, uh, you have these services that you could offer, 
an APC animal hospital isn't recommending these, they might be very interested in recommending these services that you offer. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of get in the back door because let's face it, all right, so ABC Animal Hospital now sends you a client for dog walking. And you're you're out there walking the dog, you meet the you meet the client, the client you recognize also needs training. You develop a bit of a rapport with this client, and as a result of that new relationship with the client, you're not only to able to have a dog walking business with this client, but this client also hires you as a dog trainer. Okay. You have now indirectly gotten a referral for dog training through ABC Animal Hospital. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you do a fantastic job with this client, and you ideally get a letter of recommendation from this client, and you bring that letter of recommendation back to ABC Animal Hospital and perhaps ask that client when and talk to the doctors there as well, and this doesn't happen once, but maybe it happens two or three or four times, you might find that not only are you getting business for dog walking through ABC Animal Hospital, you're also getting business for dog training through ABC Animal Hospital. So that would be one way in which offering these ancillary services can help build your primary business. Okay. Um, another way is, is that sometimes, look, I, 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 knew, I knew a trainer in, uh, in San Francisco that did moderately well as a dog trainer. It's, it was a tough, tough town for her, but she did well. She did okay. And then she started offering dog walking. Mm-hmm. And she just did it initially to supplement her income a little bit and you know, possibly generate a little bit more dog training business like I just described. But she found that it had a very different effect, which was almost overnight she had way more dog walking business than she had dog training business. And ultimately, she wound up pretty much getting out of the training end of the business <laughs> and just did dog walking full time. Really? Yeah, she loved it. It was great for her. She loved it. She got to exercise, walk all day, play with dogs, and made more money. For her, that was a perfect thing. It wasn't what was initially intended. So you just, you never know what's going to happen. Do you ever recommend for people to farm this out? I mean, let's say they do want to offer it, but there's, you know, it might not be the best thing for them to do. Is it, is it ever something you recommend to farm it out to another walker or something like that? Well, sure. I mean, it really depends. Really, a lot of that boils down to reputation. And before I even answer that question, I would also suggest that if you have spent years and tremendous amounts of time honing your skill as a dog trainer, and you take pride in what you do, and you're constantly looking to better yourself. You know, whether you took our program or you didn't take our program, you're out there as a professional, you're, you're getting continued, continuing education, you're reading, you're constantly looking to better yourself because you recognize as a service professional, you're as good as the last client you had. Mm-hmm. Okay, which means you want everybody when possible, and you're not going to satisfy everybody, but you want to do your, your absolute best to try you do your best to make sure that all of your clients are satisfied and you build your reputation on that. And then you start offering dog walking. And you're not, you don't have the same level of expertise as a dog walker. And there is something to it. You know, you need to learn how to handle a variety of dogs uh, together. You need to read body language in a slightly different way than you might as a trainer. You know, you need to make sure you've got the proper insurance. I mean, there's a whole host of other considerations when you offer a dog walking service you know, or a pet sitting service, you best be ready to do every bit as good a job as a dog walker as you do as a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you may find that your sterling reputation as a dog trainer is tarnished if you do a substandard job or not as good a job as a dog walker. 
Hmm, You want to be excellent in everything you do. And if you're not prepared to do that, then I strongly and respectfully suggest you stick with what you know until you've mastered whatever else you want to offer before you put it out there as a professional. The same thing holds true when you're farming things out. Okay? You know, one of the reasons that veterinarians, pet stores, professionals are sometimes hesitant to recommend trainers is because they recognize that if something goes wrong, that it's not just a bad reflection on the trainer, it's a bad reflection on them. On the messenger. When a client, when a patient comes to a doctor and says, doctor, my dog is eating my couch and it's driving me crazy and I think I'm going to have to rehome this dog if I can't get help, what can you tell me? That patient-doctor relationship is built on trust, which is why the patient asks in the first place. Now, the doctor doesn't have time or knowledge or both to handle this problem. So the doctor suggests that this patient go to a professional trainer. If that professional trainer flakes, doesn't do a good job, you know, something goes wrong, who do you think the patient's going to blame? And sure, believe yeah. me, there will be blame. That doctor spends years building his or her reputation. And to have that risked by recommending to a third party is something that uh, doctors and other pet professionals will take very, very seriously, especially given that, unfortunately, there are a few bad apples out there that make it tough for the rest of us. So most of the pet professionals will have at least one horror story they have to say about, you know, an experience they had recommending to this trainer, that dog walker, that pet sitter. So they tend to get a little bit hesitant, cautious when it comes to making a recommendation. But you've overcome that. You've built this rapport with this doctor. Okay, congratulations. That takes some doing to get it right. And now you're going to farm this business out to somebody else. Just recognize the fact that if the person you farm this business out to doesn't do the same kind of quality job that you do, it's going to reflect badly on you, which in turn is going to reflect badly on whoever recommended you in the first place, which means uh, you have to be really careful who you farm it to. Okay. okay so there's that. And, and there's also another consideration when you're dealing with repeat-type services. You know, dog training is different than grooming. It's different than dog walking. It's different than pet sitting in that generally when you train somebody's dog, unless they get another dog or, you know, heaven forbid, they lose the dog that you trained early, chances are you're not going to hear from that client again for quite some time. It could be sure. years. I've had clients contact me 15, 20 years after I work with them the first time. So it's not like a, a grooming where, you, you know, people are going to be in there every two or three months or every month or whatever, or pet mm -hmm. sitting where three or four times a year they go out of town and they're going to be recontacting you. When you're dealing with repeat kind of business, you want to be very careful that the person that you are putting on the job, since it's not you, you're, you're, you're farming this out, is the kind of person that you can trust that's not going to turn around and try to take that business away from you. I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, a, you have a relationship with a client. You pet sit this client uh, four times a year, and you charge them X amount of money. But you get too busy, and so you start to farm that client out to one of your pet sitters or somebody that you trust is going to be able to handle the load, and you pay this person, you know, a percentage, and you take a percentage for making the referral. And it's a, a decent business relationship all the way around, assuming that the person that you're farming this business out to doesn't think to themselves, okay, 
He's paying me $20 a day. I know that this he's charging this client, I'm just making up the numbers, $40 a day. Yeah, just go do it myself. Undercut, you know, get 30 bucks a day, right? Exactly. You know, so for, hey, I tell you what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I'll do this for 35 bucks a day. You'll save 5 bucks or 30 bucks a day. You'll save 10 bucks, and no one will be the wiser. And that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, unethical, happens all the time. So you have to be very careful about the kinds of people that you work with, uh, that they're going to be dependable, that they're going to do a fantastic job, and that they're going to be ethical enough to not take business that you have built away from you. But, you know, assuming that you can do all that, and, and, and it is certainly possible, you know, I built a, before I had Animal Behavior College, I had Animal Behavior and Training Associates, ABTA, and we had 550 trainers in 44 states. I mean, wow. it was a huge operation. We ran into, you know, many of these same issues with trainers. You know, we had them sign various contracts and all that, but at the end of the day, it's not so much the contract as it is the kind of person that you're working with. Sure, the and character of that individual. It is, and uh, you know, you, you, people will uh, have negative experiences along with the positive ones. That's just the nature of any kind of a business. But getting back to the initial topic, which is, you know, should you be offering these ancillary services? I would say cautiously, yes, provided that you are going to do as good a job with those services as you would as a trainer. And that also means doing the homework to knowing what's involved. Uh, you know, there are insurance considerations. If you're a pet sitter, you might consider bonding. You know, you really want to be careful so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you don't have proper insurance, you don't have proper coverage, and you're, uh, you know, legally at risk for something that can not only impact your pet sitting business, but can conceivably impact your entire business. So do your homework and, uh, you know, really consider whether you are prepared to handle three services or two services as opposed to just one. Well, this is great information. Hopefully, this is really good food for thought for those that are starting their business or those that are maybe, you know, with the economy how it is, trying to maybe think about branching into other parts of the business. And so, this leads me into another question from one of your, uh, from one of your students. And so, about niching and about finding your niche. And so, we're going to take a break right now. But when we come back, I want to find out what you think about niching. And so, stay with us. We're going to be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. (laughs) Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. What do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. No, it's true. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. On your iPhone, of course. Take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, 
human? What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Aquariums and pondkeeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, and we're back. And so in the last break, we were talking about, you know, should we or should we not offer additional services like dog walking, pet sitting, boarding, things like that. And so that leads into another question from one of your students. And uh, what this student has to say is, I'd like to hear what Steve has to say about what kinds of considerations are important when defining your niche within dog training offers. What are the important questions to ask when honing in on the types of dogs, people we want to work with? And I think this is a great question because nothing is going to destroy a business faster than working with the wrong type of client. Uh, and so what is your take on that? How can somebody determine what their niche is and, and go after it? Yeah, that is, that is a great question. And I was, uh, I've been a big proponent of that for years. But first off, I would start by saying it really depends on you. What type of training do you want to do? Uh, and what, is your, what are your strengths? And what is your demographic for this type of training? Do the two match? Uh, you know, let's say, for example, let's say you have uh, two goals. You want to make a full-time living as a trainer. This means you need to earn at least, let's say, fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. And in some parts of the country, you know, this is going to need to be a lot higher. I like your, you know, your six-figure number, absolutely. And you're most comfortable teaching basic obedience and puppy K classes, puppy mm-hmm. kindergarten. Now, the fact is that you might be hard-pressed to reach your financial goal just by teaching classes. You mm-hmm. might need to teach private lessons. Okay? And if you teach privates, you need to focus on those people with enough discretionary income to afford them, which oftentimes is different than the demographic that's going to afford group classes. That's just, this is one example. Another example might be, um, okay, you're a, you're a fantastic hunting dog trainer, <laughs> and you're living in the city. 
Okay, so if so, you know, you might find it hard to attract the numbers of clients that you need. So the first thing you need to do is go beyond just your interests. I mean, you might have a fantastic interest in hunting dogs, you know, but like I said, if you're living in the city, you might find that you're not going to, you're not going to locate nearly as many people that share that interest or that, or that are going to be practically inclined to, uh, you know, to work with you on this because it's just not something you're going to run into all that much where you live. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to do is figure out what type of training you're most comfortable doing. What is it? Is it obedience? Is it problem solving? Now, if it's problem-solving, what types of problems? Are we talking simpler ones like chewing, digging, jumping, barking, house-soiling, or more complex ones, uh, separation anxiety, aggression, phobias? Are you going to specialize in certain behaviors? You know, I would say that if I wanted to go back into training, I mean, I'm really not training anymore. I haven't trained for a number of years now with this college, but if I wanted to chuck all that and go back to training dogs, which at times I've thought about because I miss aspects of it, and I wanted to define a niche. For me, I would work aggression. Now, that's mm-hmm. not for everybody. I'm just saying that I would, and I'm not talking about training dogs to be aggressive, although that's a whole other niche. I'm, I'm talking about training dogs to not be aggressive. A lot mm-hmm. of trainers don't like it. They're afraid of it, understandably. It's a bit of a specialty. But I know that if I marketed myself that way, that I would, within a year, have all the business that I could handle. And it's not mm-hmm. because I'm this phenomenal marketer or the world's greatest trainer out there. It's because I recognize that in the area that I'm in, and in fact in most large market areas, there will be an absolute market for people to help with aggressive behavior and their pets. So that's just mm-hmm. one niche that I know that I would be comfortable working on or working with that I could do well in if I elected to do it. But that, that's just me. The point is you have to figure out what's going to work for you. And are you going to specialize in certain behaviors? I mean, not everybody wants to. Some people might just want to do puppy behaviors, you know, the simple stuff. House soiling, the nipping, the chewing, the digging, digging, uh, the, you know, stealing things off counters, that kind of stuff. Uh, separation anxiety is a big one, and, you know, some people really focus on that. What about certain breeds? Some oh, people really focus, you know, on certain breeds. And uh, even though... You know, there's some controversy there, you know, as to whether or not you really use, a, you know, a, a Rottweiler technique or a pit bull technique or a Labrador retriever technique. We don't really have to debate that. It's the simple fact is, is that some trainers have been very effective in marketing themselves as the German Shepherd specialists or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what about hunting or protection training? You know, personal protection training is also a specialty. Now, when I was training, I did something that was very successful along the lines of protection, which we called insane protection, which was basically, we found that a good many people in the city wanted their dogs to be functional watchdogs, meaning they bark at the front door, they bark at the front, you know, the back gate, but they were friendly with people. I mean, they didn't want a dog that was dangerous to the children or, you know, would eat the mother-in-law. Well, maybe that, but, uh, you know, they just wanted a dog that was going to be a decent watchdog. Yeah, safe and sane watchdog. And, and basically all it was was getting enough control through obedience and, you know, proper ranking and establishing, you know, where in the, where in the hierarchy you fell. And remember, this was 15 or 20 years ago. There were slightly different thought processes involved in training anyway. But mm-hmm. really the bottom line was is you got a decent level of control with the dog. Um, you built a strong rapport. 
And then you simply learned when to encourage the appropriate barking behavior, while at the same time learning how and when to discourage the inappropriate barking behavior. Okay. Very, very simple stuff to do. People loved it. People loved it. Uh, and, and we really weren't, it, it wasn't much to it, but we had people signing up for this left and right and taking our programs because we were adding this little thing which helped us define a small niche in the market. Another thing we called poison proofing. You know, and in this part of the country, every now and again, especially right around this time of year, you know, you'd hear the crazy news stories about, you know, the sickos that would throw meat with poison over people's fences or, you know, meat mm-hmm. with ground glass or horrible things like that. You know, and some dogs would eat them and get sick and die. And every year, right around Halloween and in the fall and, and periodically throughout the year, you know, you'd hear this. And, of course, you get a false sense of how often this happens. I mean, you know, I'm in an area with 7 or 8 million people. Uh, you know, if this happens a dozen times, oh, that's a dozen too many. I'm not minimizing it. But the number of times it was happening compared to the population was relatively small. But people would read about this or they'd hear it on the news and they'd be, they'd be fearful. And they wanted to make sure that, God forbid, it wouldn't happen to them or to their dogs. And so we worked on ways in which you could teach dogs if something was thrown over the fence like that, not to take it, okay? And you could literally throw a meatball over the fence and the dog wouldn't eat it. Now, if the dog got eaten for three days, that was a different story. But, <laughs> sure. you know, just a you know, general well-fed dog, you know, properly cared for dog, wouldn't go near anything like that. We called that poison proofing, And we offered that as a supplementation to our regular program. And people loved that. And that was a niche. Uh, I know people in other parts of the country, possibly in an area like Utah, though you would know way better than I, you were, where would you snake proofing? Mm-hmm. You know, where there, where there are concerns where people are taking their dogs up in the, you know, for hikes on trails or whatnot that they might run into at certain times of the year, snakes, and, and then to learn to stay away from them. And, and I know trainers that do, I know some trainers in Texas that do that. And, uh, and they've done very, very well offering that. And that's not all they do. They include this as part of their basic program, but it helps them stand out from the competition. So, you know, the niches are many. You just have to figure out what appeals to you, what you think you can do, and what the needs of your communities are. And they're going to differ depending on where in the country you are. But once you figure that out and you're tied into that, then you can come up with various things that you can do to help satisfy the wants and the needs of the people in your community. Protection training, tracking, I could go on, obedience trials and various dog sports, uh, you know, fly ball. There's all sorts of things that you can, you can offer. I think a lot of times people look at what they like and they say, okay, well, I like this. Let me go make some money with it. But what I, I think people need to do is look at what is the market demanding because wherever you live, your market is currently demanding something. You mentioned a couple like aggression. That's basically across the board. Snake proofing might not be in your market, but protection training might be in your market if it's very urban. And so your market is already demanding things. What are they demanding and how can you fill it? And that doesn't mean you have to go away from the things that you love. You can just apply the things that you love to what your market is already demanding. And in doing so, like you mentioned, really stand out and really make yourself look different than the crowd because you offer safe and sane watchdog, which most trainers could probably do if they just learned a couple principles of protection training. But right. you're the only one offering it maybe or you're one of two people offering it and now, it, now your program is so much more attractive. That's exactly right. And that's, that's precisely what you do. So, I mean, that's what I would say about, about you know, establishing a niche. And sometimes, sometimes I've run to trainers that, that brought areas of expertise or interest completely outside the dog training field into their practice. 
and again, it just depends on your market. I know a trainer, actually, I know two trainers. I know one in the San Diego area. Actually, I know three trainers, all in California. (laughs) (laughs) People in the rest of the country are going to roll their eyes and go with figures. But um, yeah, one in LA, one in San Diego, and one in San Francisco. All of whom, aside from being professional dog trainers, are also yoga instructors. Really? And they literally, they included yoga for some of their clients that wanted it along with training. And when I first heard this, I thought, really? But when I spoke to them, and then, you know, they explained kind of how they did it. You know what? If it works, it works. And they had clients that absolutely loved that. You know, they do a little yoga, they do a little dog training, whatever. But the point is, is that you, when you want to figure out what your niche is going to be, aside from understanding what the needs of your community are, you also want to really sit down and consider what you feel most comfortable doing and mm-hmm. what special skill sets you might be able to bring to bear that can match the needs of your community. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's basically what I have to say about it. Well, that's excellent. And, uh, and so to kind of sum up today's interview, I think you did just sum it up really well right there. But essentially, find out what you like to do, find out what the market wants, and provide a need. You know, you can't go out there and provide what you think is a need if the market's telling you something different. And so, yeah, this is really great information on should we offer pet sitting, should we offer dog walking, how do we niche ourselves. This has been some really great information. So in any case, I really appreciate you being on the show today, Steve. How can people get a hold of your company if they're interested in what you do? And, uh, and we actually didn't mention that in the beginning. Maybe you should mention what you do and how people can get a hold of your company if they're interested in what you do. Well, what I do is I own a vocational college called Animal Behavior College. Basically, we teach people to be professional dog trainers. We also offer a program that teaches people to be a, a veterinary assistant. And uh, uh, soon, starting in 2010, we're offering a program that teaches people to be professional groomers. These are extensive, not expensive, but extensive courses. They will take you uh, approximately a year to complete. And uh, when you complete them, you will be ready to go out and practice either as a dog trainer, veterinary assistant, or groomer. So they're outstanding programs for people that really want to get into these professions and to make a difference helping animals and helping the people that love them. My company can be reached at animalbehaviorcollege.com, exactly like it sounds, or just type in any keyword, uh, Animal Behavior College or anything like that, and you'll find us on the web. Uh, or you can call us directly at a uh, very code, it's just an 800 number, so it's 800-795-3294. Seven nine five three two nine four eight hundred number toll free in the U.S. or Canada. And yes, we have uh, approximately seven percent of our students are Canadian, so we offer the program both here and uh, and in every province in Canada as well. The course is a combination distance learning coupled with what we call an externship, meaning that you'll learn some of the material at home, and then you will be placed in uh, with a professional trainer in your area or a, a veterinary hospital or a grooming salon, depending on which program you take. And uh, what that means is, is that you can take this program without having to go to another state and live you know, on campus somewhere. You can take this program as a working professional, not have to move, not have to give up your job. Prices are extremely reasonable. We also offer a uh, if you're in the military, if you're the spouse of an active duty military personnel, uh, you can get the program paid for through the Department of Defense, which is a really phenomenal thing that we've been able to offer this year. Uh, there are all sorts of payment options and ways in which we can help you get into the career of your dreams. It's a great program, and I enjoy doing it because 
even though it sounds cliche, basically, this is a fantastic way for me to be able to give back. I know mm-hmm. how much fun and enjoyment I had as a professional trainer for many, many years, and it thrills me really beyond what words can express to know that I'm helping people fulfill the same kinds of dreams that I had and was able to fulfill for all those years. So that's a little bit about me. I'm the president of the college and a little bit about the school. And if you want more information, then please uh, call us or get on our website and hopefully you'll get all your answers. That's awesome. And thank you for being on the show. Actually, as we were talking, I actually took some notes, and uh, there's some things I'm going to implement in my business. And if you're listening, I hope you were taking notes, too. For example, in my business, I'm going to start implementing this watchdog program you were talking about, figuring out how I can apply it to my business. And uh, I'm actually going to consider the snake proofing as well. And so for those listening, make sure it does you no good to listen to all this information and apply nothing. And so make sure you're going out there, applying this information, adjusting it so that it fits your business, your personality, and your your, uh, what you're trying to accomplish, but just get out there and do it. There's no such thing as somebody that's earning a six-figure living without figuring out how to apply some of these amazing ideas that we can learn from guys like Steve and the other guests that we have on this show. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, just email me at ty at petliferadio.com or go to my website, sixfiguredogbusiness.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.